Hi, my name is Alistair Caithness, CEO of Zion Inc. And this is our new podcast that discusses the energy industry and the blockchain. If you'd like to know more about the company or more about today's show, then visit our website, www.zion.com. Thanks very much. Enjoy the show. So for today on Boom, It's on the Blockchain, I'm joined by uh, David Rogers. Dave is a board member with uh, Zion Inc. He's been with the company for three years. And we're bringing Dave on uh, sporadically as we do the podcast to provide an update of the company. And then he can ask me some questions. So uh, uh, for everyone uh, listening, Dave, especially back in Scotland, uh, can you introduce yourself and give a bit of background? Sure, sure. Oh, thanks for having me on, Al. Yeah, no, it's it's great. I've been with Zion here for, for a few years now. How long, how long has it been now? About maybe four, four years? It's just since we started, Dave, back in the, the right. four years ago and the, the days so, when we were working with Enrique down at the startup. Yeah. That's right. That's right. So came in um, on the software side, on the information side of the company, actually. I've got a background in... In software quality assurance, I was a director of quality assurance for a number of years um, at, at a company on the East Coast. Um, came out to California and had been doing some contracting out here, and uh, met Al out on the on the links. So we were doing he was out of the driving range there a bit. So um, came in um, with Zion to to work with the software team a bit on the information portals, um, get some of that regenerated um, some of the next-gen technology in place um, and then just evolved along with Zion. Yeah, that's, that's great then, Dave. So, yeah, you just mentioned there we're um, back in the Wednesday golf meetup. That's where Dave and I, you first met actually out in the range. So we've uh, hit a few golf balls together over the years and uh, here we are now, three years later, Dave, and still going strong. That's right. That's right. Perfect. So, so in terms of bringing Dave on, you know, I, I wanted to bring the viewers and obviously I'm interviewing people each week, but this gives an opportunity to, for Dave to ask questions, especially as he's a major shareholder in the company and he can ask quite a few questions that are probably in the shareholders' minds. So over to you, Dave. Certainly. So, yeah, so it's been, it's been quite a journey. Um, and, and I know in, in talking to some of the other shareholders and, and sometimes I'll get pinged with questions on the side and, and, you know, uh, coming in initially, you know, you know, folks had come in when they first came in, they were, they were acquiring shares, right. Through their, through their investment. And obviously with, with the direction we're taking now with the blockchain and, and the availability uh, to invest in a different way through the Zion token and the Zion coin, um, there's some questions about exactly what that means. If, if you're a shareholder and you're holding shares um, and you want to transfer over, what does that mean? Um, you know, what, what's the difference in terms of, uh, of you know, of value to, to the shareholder, and, you know, if they do a transfer and, and in terms of risk, you know, is it, is it more risk? Is it less risk? And, you know, there's, there's, you know, questions about the time frame too, the, the, you know, in terms of when the company is planning to emerge and, and the time frames that things are going to happen. And is it better for them to stick with shares or, or, or to transition over to the Zion coin? So, yeah. Um, yeah, so just a lot of, a lot of questions around, around the new direction that the company has been taking and around blockchain in general. So I think it's maybe good to give a bit of insight from when the original shareholders invested in the company. So 
as Dave said there, back in 2016, we were initially a software company providing information on contracts. Initially, we were providing information on contracts out in the, the Middle East looking at the Iraq market. If you look at Iraq today and the problems that are happening there, it's just it's a perpetual problems in that country in terms of the corrupt government. But it doesn't stop the fact that you know Iraq's sitting on probably the second biggest pile of oil in the world. Obviously, this is part of the problems that's happened in the past, and there was no actual procurement portal for that uh, country. So we set up the procurement portal, providing information, oil contracts, and constru construction contracts for Iraq. What happened was that the oil price crashed, and when the oil price crashed, it sort of wiped out the customer base, and that's when we did the sort of first pivot in the business. <coughs> I think when people come in and they think about startup companies and the journey you go on, you know, to me, our, our company's been on, a, you know, quite a, you know, I would say a big journey, but it's, you know, we've taken a few different paths as we've uh, sort of... Uh, developed and I would say one of the key paths is this pivot from being an information company is the first major pivot to actually becoming an oil company so when the oil price crashed we sort of lost all of our customers because like anything in any industry the first thing to go is marketing right so, and th and that's and that's that's right on the nose um, in terms of of the questions that we're getting you know from the outside and not having you know the visibility into the day-to-day -day, you know these seem like very disparate and different avenues but as you go through the history of the company and you talk about how we started um, there's you, the, the progression is very clear in terms of how we went from information uh, provider, uh, you know, and then into into the energy sector, and then how that evolved into the platform. So, so into the energy sector, really, it was key with Shane Fraser when he was uh, pivotal in the company. So he was, you know, a senior guy with Shell. He was running rigs out in the North Sea. He was also based out uh, as a key guy for Shell for land drilling in Syria. So at the time when the oil price crashed, you know, he joined on. I've known Shane for over 20 years. So he joined the company and, you know, I asked Shane, listen, I'm getting oil contracts that are across my desk for millions of dollars every day. And I'm selling this information for $5,000 for people to access it. Can we go after some of these contracts ourselves? So initially, Shane and I thought we'd set up a small service company and we'd go after certain contracts, you know, initially focused in the Middle East. But one way or other, we ended up in the Illinois Basin. You know, essentially, we got an opportunity to get a contract of somebody else who was operating there. We were going to go on a joint venture, but then we just acquired the contract for them. Just to give you an insight, at the time with the Illinois Basin, you know, ultimately, it was uh, at its peak when it was over $100 a barrel. People were spending up to $1,200 an acre in the Illinois Basin. You know, that's right. how... Uh, expensive it was to get into that uh, part of the world or anywhere to do land drilling in America. But when the oil price crashed and dropped below 40, you know, you just had hundreds of operators just going out of business overnight. 
you know, they just could not produce oil cheap enough. So we ended up going into the basin and we were actually starting to acquire oil leases initially at $25 an acre. Right. So you can see the massive drop in price than what we were able to acquire across some of these acreages. Now, obviously, that was just when we got into some of the leases and then the oil price started to stable and went up. But if it wasn't for the fact that the oil price crashed and we had to pivot the business because there's no way we could have continued just being a company focused on marketing and oil and gas sector. And then, you know, just overnight, we took the opportunity and then, Shane and I went to the basin, you know, multiple times and we end up getting our own lawyer in the basin and our own landman lady in the basin and then local representation for representing the company. And we just sort of grew it from there. And it was really on that very first day, we actually went there and we actually met Gary Tusi, who's the eighth biggest operator in the basin. And, you know, all of our operations right now are subcontracted through Gary. And uh, you've been to the basin yourself, um, <clears throat> Dave, you know, That's for, right. a, yep. for a trip date as well. Right, right. So, I mean, exactly right in terms of, I mean, it was the right place at the right time. The opportunity presented itself. And so you, ta- you saw the, <clears throat> the opportunity to take the company from, you know, an information vendor, right, uh, and something abstract and intangible to, to something that had a concrete asset under its feet, something, something to build on. Um, so yeah, so I've been like, it was, you know, it was, it was in a way like anything's a leap of faith, but you know, it was a good move for the company. It was a good move in terms of, you know, shareholders, a lot of people invested. We, we had a share price then at 25 cents that we qualified under regulation A plus. And then suddenly we had an information company who's won our first oil contract. And then we went there and went for other oil contracts. Now, for people who've been in the oil and gas business, you know, um, you've got to look at these smaller basins in America. Illinois is one, you know, there's obviously Oklahoma, Wyoming, other basins like that that are bigger. But essentially, they're land basins in America, whereby if you went back to the 70s and early 80s, the leases were owned by, you know, Shell and BP and all the companies that made up ExxonMobil, like Texaco, et cetera, Texaco and Mobile. So they were producing oil in these basins at 300 feet back at that time. But when the, I wouldn't say the introduction of deep water drilling, but as the technology developed and deep water drilling developed, and then the super majors were suddenly able to drill, you know, huge wells offshore, then right. they just pulled out of these basins because the, these basins uh, are the most fragmented ba- oil basins in the world. You know, right. there's more oil leases and more small operators in these land basins in America than you'll find anywhere else in the world. And the reason it's like that is because the leases or the landowners, which quite often the farmers, have been passed down from father to son, father to son. Right. Or father to son and daughter, I should say. And, um, you know, if each generation, if the generation before had one lease with a thousand acres and they had two sons and a daughter, then the next generation would have three leases at 330 acres. So the average lease size in these basins is 300 acres. Now, even though everyone's sort of related that owns the land in one way or other, you know, it's just like north of Scotland, you know, all the farmers are related, even though they don't like each other. <laughs> But right. essentially, 
it's it's because I'm from the north of Scotland and I'm related to people <laughs> like that. That's why I know about stuff like that. Yeah, but you all turn up two, three times a year, you know. You, you right. go to the Black Isle show, Dave. There's always a good punch up at the end. Of it, you know? <laughs> Shane, Shane yeah. and I usually that's, at the end. That's know? one thing that struck me, uh, you know, when we were out there and talking to the farmers and, you know, how well you got on with them and, and in terms of being able to find a lot of common ground and, and, and you know, and a lot of, a lot of storytelling. And, yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. just like you say, the same type of background. Yeah, we, we all hate people from Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, yeah, I, I can't say I like people from Chicago. But if you go to Illinois, base in Kentucky, and that people from Kentucky don't like people. From because well, yeah, because they got burned right with all those investors that came down from yeah. the north when the oil price was high, and then found themselves underwater when when the price came back down and, and kind of left things right. A lot of those wells it's were more, abandoned it's more in Illinois, actually, because it's uh, you know Chicago's in Illinois. So it's, um, so they have the problems whereby, you know, you're living in the country and then there's people in the city seven hours away governing how you should live and telling you the way to do right, it. You know? Right, right. So, and that, that hacks these people off more than anything because, <laughs> yeah. you know, it doesn't matter which type of group it is, they're telling these people to live and you don't actually go down to see what they're doing, you know? Right. Well, so, and, and as you said, you know, so these big oil companies like Shell and BP, you know, they really don't. You know, it's not in their best interest, you know, to, to try and make yeah, a they, deal they, with they every single one of these little farmers. You know, it's, it's thousands of leases and thousands of contracts. And yeah, it's they, just, they can't give it, they can't get economies of scale. So that's the problem. Right, so, right. Because they can't get economies of scale, then, you know, essentially that stops them operating there. So when you go down there, the first thing that Shane and I saw was why do they have four storage facilities all next to each other? in the corner of the field. You know, the first thing Shane said is, why don't they just have one big one? What's the point in doing there? It's only when we got out of the, the car and started having a look at this, we realized it was different owners of each of the different storage facilities. So what they right. do is, yeah. they, all, they put all the storage facilities in the corner of the field so it's easier for the trucks to pick everything up. Right. Yep, but it was actually four different uh, leases that were all abutting each other, but they put all the storage tanks together and, yeah, so they, just so, uh, yeah. for the pickups. Yeah. Yeah, so you can't get economies of scale. So, you know, for people who don't really when you're actually producing oil in these basins, it's just purely upstream. So if we take it to the technical terms, they're using oil and gas. So we're producing the oil, we're putting it into the storage containers at the corner of the field. So it's held in the storage containers, and then uh, Country Mark, which is the refining company in the area, well, they've either got two pipelines that run through the basin. So if you've got uh, any oil that's close to the pipeline, then you can put it into that. But other than that, they've got about 40 trucks that run around the basins all day, picking up the oil as these storage facilities are full. Now, the way it is, is they'll pick up the oil, which is the midstream to take it back to the refining company, and right. then they'll do the downstream refining as well. And the way it works is the oil price, as the oil price changes every day, there's a page on the Country Mark's website whereby they'll tell you how much they're paying for the oil on a daily basis. So you're probably uh, essentially playing it you know, about 10 to $11 less than the oil price. So if the oil price is at 60 which is about today, you'll get approximately $50 per barrel in the, for your production. Right. Makes sense. Yeah, and, and that's, and, and I would say, you know, and that's the way they're producing oil. And because there's not economies of scale, 
you know, the big operators don't want to deal with this. And then they also have the problem is, you know, the, you know, whatever people say about the farmers in the Illinois basin, you know, these people are super smart, you know, you, you think, you know, you're in California and everybody thinks, oh, the, the farmer in the Midwest and the uh, Illinois basin, you know, he, he's a hick, he's not smart, but you know, it's the absolute opposite. These guys are some of the smartest guys ever, you know, they've got, they've got their businesses all set up in trusts because they're making so much money. Subsidy right. this, they understand finance, you know, because essentially they're, you know, the way their crops are run, they're choosing the right crops. They're getting paid subsidies for certainly growing certain other crops. And in addition to that, they've got the capability to produce oil under the ground. So obviously they're wanting that as well. Which so they've been doing for generations. Well, you're going to, yep. you're going to meet, you know? Yep, yep. Which, and, and which they've been doing for generations. So yeah, this, this is not new to them. Yeah, it's definitely not new the way it's happened. So, and and that's really, and to a certain extent, you know, we're a sort of crowdfunded energy company to this point. And then when we were in the base, and this is when we started to look at, well, how can we start producing oil? You know, because we're still got a tech background, and then we realized quite quickly that you know nearly all these pump jacks or nodding donkeys, as they call them in Scotland, are all connected to the you know the grid. And they're all pulling electricity to actually power the pump jack. So this is where we realized is if we can generate the electricity to power the pump jack, then we'll be, as long as we're producing the electricity cheaper than you're pulling off the grid, then we're producing cheaper oil than the guy next door. But in addition to that, we are now creating oil or producing oil with less CO2 emissions than someone who's producing oil by pulling electricity off the grid because suddenly, you know, our, our electricity is from green energy. And this is really the way we were looking to, to, to position the company and going forward is, you know, we're not going to be a big oil operator. We're not going to be a company with thousands of people in it in terms of an oil and energy company. We are a sort of energy tech company in this space that's just like any other tech businesses come out from California is, you know, essentially we're in the space with software companies. We're developed from that. We want to look at innovation and new technology. And, you know, this is the the next thing that we're looking to obviously do is, you know, in addition to producing oil, can we actually, to begin with, you know, produce oil at a cheaper rate than other people out there by utilizing renewable energy. But in addition to that, can we drop the CO2 emissions by doing this as well, which at the time was very favorable. Now, because we came out with this concept, you know, and there's other people who've been doing these types of concept, but we are wanting to try and roll it out on a, you know, a, a larger scale. Right. And that's when we were invited to go and speak at the Well Services uh, Conference in Houston. So... Just to just to pause here, this is this is again where the company made another inflection. This is another transition. So it, we had gone in there, and, and your, the intent was to pick up a lot of these oil wells, and then the introduction of the green energy component to reduce the carbon footprint of the of the producing site is something that was was new, and that's where we made the transition from from just becoming you know an, an oil producer to to becoming more of an energy company with, with a cross uh, sector solution. Yeah, because essentially what you're doing really when you're trying to do a startup company and grow it is, you know, you're trying to find niches. 
you're trying to find a niche and a service that's going to be of interest and is going to work for bigger companies. Exactly. And, you know, and at that point, and it was really from there by me speaking about it, I was actually brought on. So it was a well services conference that happens every year in Houston. They do them all over the world. Right. And then I was the like, uh, you know, Zion Inc. We were getting some press because we were the only corporation in Illinois based and everyone else's LLCs. And uh, that was the first time I got to go to the stage and speak next to some of the super majors. So, you know, at that presentation, there was people from ExxonMobil speaking at it. There was people from Shell speaking at it. So it was exciting for me to suddenly, you know, we're at this uh, conference and we are there speaking about the Illinois Basin and the production there and the way oil's produced there, even going over the way it's been done there now. You know, that would to, to a lot of these guys when they're dealing with massive production for big oil rigs uh, offshore, they're, they're right. doing 100,000 barrels that suddenly, you know, you're speaking about how it's produced there. Essentially, to them, it's, you know, it's, it's not going back in time, but it's, it's certainly a, a different way of producing oil that they're currently operating with. Sure, know? yep, yep. And to me, that was really when we started to go in, you know, into the space from there. So, you know, at that point there, I'd been covering the blockchain itself in terms of, it was actually to do with issuance. So the people I speak about in some of my earlier shows were when I was interviewed when uh, we started the company was a, a guy called Darren Marble. Now he was the first uh, guy that got a reggae company qualified, Elio Motors. And then he did, you know, multiple reggae offerings from there. And then, you know, I following him in the space, he was speaking about issuance, he was speaking about the blockchain, he was speaking about these tokens. So essentially we were, you know, we were sort of in the space anyway, in terms of this was, you know, how regulation and crowdfunding was getting developed. And, you know, back right. to your original question, you know, I was obviously following this. And now suddenly I'm going to Houston and speaking next to um, a, a number of the oil majors and then seeing some of the, the technology there getting de uh, developed. And one of the ones that was obviously most interest to me was the oil blockchain and how this was going to develop. Right. And really, as I started to see this, this is to me, this is like the great leap forward in terms of how information is shared, how information is stored. And, you know, the other with smart contracts and how it's going to change for the big operators. So, you know, for most people out there, just to give a bit of a recap, you know, we're calling it boom, it's on the blockchain. But really for the super majors like, you know, ExxonMobil, Shell, BP etc. They're now seeing the blockchain as a way for them to work together and collaborate like they've never done before, because rather than having central databases, they've got a decentralized database in a permission blockchain that they all share and work together with. So an example with the Oil Blockchain Consortium is sharing seismic data. Right. So in the past, is like there's no way that these companies would share their seismic data because, you know, whose database are you going to share it on? There's no way Shell's going to give BP all their seismic data and vice versa. Exactly. But suddenly, if you create a permission blockchain, so if Bitcoin's on a public blockchain, we're talking about the same technology, except it's permissions. So, you know, the, the entire ecosystem's controlled. So now we're using this technology on a permission blockchain, but there might only be seven of them in it. I think there right. is only seven originally, and Equinor was the Norwegian 
uh, operator, massive company. Um, Chevron's involved as well, ConocoPhillips, Marathon Oil, Saudi Aramco. So, you know, these are some of the biggest companies in the world. And now they're sharing information of like, not, uh, like they've never done before in their history. Now, so this, this is the, the first blockchain evolution. Does, so what hmm. the blockchain does is it brings an industry of trust for them to be able to, to share this information. Yeah, it's, it's trust and the, and the ability of nobody actually owning it. So it's under a decentralized ledger exactly. rather than a central ledger. And now the other thing they start working on is smart contracts. And, you know, this is how the whole industry is going to get rolled out to use the blockchain. It's whether people, I don't really, I speak to so many people about it and they go, oh, well, this is going to be a long time before it comes out. We don't understand it. You know, uh-huh. It's not even your choice. It's, it's just coming like, faster than you think. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> exactly, Dave. It's, it's right down, it's, it's barreling down the tracks. It, three years from now, they'll start doing, there'll be projects all using smart contracts. Now, you know, I, the, the most simple smart contract is a vending machine. You know, I say this all the time. Most people speak about it to try and give people an insight. You know, so a vending machine is a smart contract. We set it up there. If we put in a dollar you don't get your can of Coke. You put a dollar fifty and you don't get your can of Coke. If you put in two dollars, it executes the transaction and you get your can of Coke. Now you think if we start doing all contracts like this, so you think on a, on a site or, or a project whereby now we're on a permission blockchain. So you're look, you're seeing every operator involved, every service company, and every supplier now has access to this permission blockchain. Now we've right. all got access to the permission blockchain. And so we can all see the movement of services and goods on this blockchain to, to the very, essentially to the very second, you know, where it should actually be in the, in the whole process. So yep. if everyone yep. can see everything on it, then it stops this wasted time. It doesn't stop this duplication. And from a transparency perspective, everyone can see. But how does the smart contracts work here? Well, if you're delivering any items, then you know that when your items are delivered, you know, and it might be, I'm going to, I've got two miles worth of power cable, you know, 33 right. kV. I've got to do there. The cable's manufactured. We've got it here. It takes six weeks to manufacture it. The minute it arrives on site, that's it. The minute it's there, that's the, the contract executed. It's automatically paid. Now, what does that, what does that stop? Well, it stops invoicing. You know, and everyone goes, well, it's not like, you know, it's not like inventing the TV or something. You know what I mean? Or the yeah, telephone. Yeah. You think right. it's not the, both Scottish inventions, by the way, Dave. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just put it in there. Just a little plug. Yeah. Just yeah. a little plug. But, uh, you know, but ultimately, you know, it's, it, the, you know, so, oh, so what does it mean? This gets an invoicing. But if you actually think about it, what that does, by removing invoicing, it removes that, uh, that section of administration. And then it removes credit control and then it removes legal fees to chase people up for money. And then it removes that whole back end of the process. But then also by actually being transparent and speeding things up and executing the transaction like that, suddenly everyone gets paid on time the minute it arrives. That in itself is huge. Most people think, well, wait a minute, I, this doesn't sound so bad after all, <laughs> you know, but right. 
But when this technology comes in, it's going to be top driven. And it won't be like, well, I still don't understand how a decentralized ledger technology works. Well, you don't understand how the internet works if I ask you to write it down in 50 words. You just use it every day for a million different uses. And for right. most people, they can't live without the internet. Their job is revolving around the internet because if the right. internet breaks, you have to go back to phones and have to go sending letters. How's that going to work, you know? Right. Right. So it's, it's an evolution of the internet. If most people want, want to understand, it's an evolution of the internet that we're going to suddenly all start using, whether we like it or not. And this is the technology that's happening out there. So now suddenly coming back to Zion, well, that's what the super majors are doing. And then we start to look at, okay, so where are we with this Zion coin, what we're looking to do? Well, ultimately, I looked at the time of all the different sort of cryptocurrencies or digital currencies out there. And, you know, I researched it uh, with Dean Holder, our general counsel and CFO. We went away out to London. We met uh, Paul out there in London who was ran an oil company before, had a lot of connections in the UK markets. We spent a right. lot, you know, we were there for about a week speaking to people about it, etc. And we realized that if we can actually create some form of stable coin for the oil industry, it, the actual oil industry spends over $200 billion a year on transaction fees. So if you think if you've got a, a, some form of coin that can actually execute these transactions, especially when you start looking at places like Iraq and Syria, where if you went in the news today, you know, there's 100 people being killed in Iraq in over a week. There's no right. Western bank operates in Iraq. Right, so to right. do business in Iraq, you know, the money's from a U.S. to there might go through half a dozen banks, you know, exchanges so every, and, yep, yep. exchange rates and getting fees. So the, the thing is, you know, it's quite obvious that having a coin for the big oil operators to execute transactions and big energy companies is a no brainer. You know, it saves $200 billion. The problem is if you do not get I would say, um, adoption by the major operators, then essentially it's, it's pointless. It's meaningless. You, you, you know, right. I know enough about it now that I can actually generate and make a stable coin. But right. Essentially, you know, unless you get people to use it, you're, you're developing something that won't work. Right. Now, it's, it's the adoption that's going to drive it. It's the adoption that's going to drive it. So, you know, at that point there, we started to look at, okay, so where does the, you know, We've seen this technology coming in. We've watched the major operators stand on stage and say, we're going to save 8 to 12% of fixed costs with the blockchain within five years. Now, if the oil price stays at $60 a barrel, which it might yeah. be 60 to 70, because you think of uh, natural gas and the fracking industry and everything that's happening here in America, you know, you've got other countries in the world that have the potential to do that as well. China, South Africa, and the UK for three right. countries. Essentially, if they did the same fracking plans that they're doing in America, then essentially they would be 100% energy self-sufficient. So, you know, it can be a leap forward with these countries as well. So it's, so if you start to think about what's happening, Dave, it's, to me, it's like, Everything's changing anyway, you know? Yep. The technology is changing. The cost of oil is never going to go back up above that unless there's massive natural disasters that cause these shortages. So suddenly this new technology that comes along, 
And then these major operators are saying that they can save 8 to 12% in fixed costs. Right. Now everyone goes, well, and that, and that's what a smart contract can do. So if you, if you take the vending machine thing and you yep. apply yep. it to a company that makes $500 billion and you're saving 8 to 12% of fixed costs, you can see why these companies are going to be going full on to the blockchain because now they're actually going down that path and the savings they'll make is so huge that there's no way they're going to go back. Right. Now, that's extremely interesting in terms of, of a, a new way to transact in the oil and gas industry. But what's really compelling is this other dimension that you bring to the table in terms of expanding this beyond just oil and gas, just across the energy sector itself. Why yeah, don't you so, tell me a little so, bit about how, so, yeah, so, what your so vision of that. About, well, where we fit in it, do it. Okay, so this is what the major operators come. So now, you know, I've got guys who are shareholders who work for all the majors. And, you know, at first they, they thought I was making this stuff up, you know, <laughs> you know, and now, now the oil and gas consortiums come out, you know, Saudi Aramco are just sticking $800 million into developing their blockchain. Technology. Right. So now, now I'm no longer making it up, you know, right. it in the first place, it just didn't have the PR and press to do that, you know, but now the press is ramping up yeah. and everyone's talking about it. It's getting so, serious consideration. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you think, right, so we're coming back to what we've got. So this is the next thing is, you know, we're not going to get this oil stable coin because it's obvious there's smarter guys that have gone before us who have tried to do this and because they can't get adoption with the major operators, it's not going to work. But, but essentially this technology is coming. Now, it's a bit like seeing the start of the internet back in the early 80s. You know, I used to run a company that sold essentially, you know, I was a mailing, you know, I was a mailing company. I used to send, you know, mail shots. And suddenly I go along and see the internet and I'm looking at this thinking, you know, my mail shot business is going to have to change because everyone's going to want to be sending emails. Now, obviously, it's been a bit saturated after 30 years of email spamming. But when it first came out, it was like, how can you go back, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. So essentially, okay, so you think in, the, in these Midwest areas, it's like back to the Illinois Basin. This technology is going to come to this basin. Now, we spoke about these major operators moving out of these basins in the, in the 1980s. Right. And essentially, the way they're producing oil, and you know, these guys still produce oil. There's a lot of rich guys, good oil guys. The way they operate you know, is excellent. But they don't have the same research and development budget as the major operators. Right. So they're essentially they're operating the same way they've always operated oil because you know why breaks you know why try and fix something if it's not broken it's still making money for the key guys in there but now this technology is just going to basically change absolutely everything now to me it's you know you've seen this technology you've started to look at what the major operators are doing and then you look at the problem there so so what is the problem back in the Illinois basin in these places is well essentially. If you start looking at, and that's when we started to delve further and further into it. Now we have this new technology that we can use to put information onto the blockchain, change financial structures yeah. of different projects. You know, we, we can start to look at change and it, it, it's going to change anyway. So if I went back and just going, oh, well, we'll just keep buying up leases and producing what we're doing without evolving with this technology. Now, you know, a lot of people say to me, you know, what's happened to Zion Energy? Are we still going to be producing energy? Yes, we're going to produce energy. We're going to produce more energy. 
but essentially we need to get a handle on this technology because when we apply it, it's going to show a growth in the company so much faster than what we've done before. Essentially what's going to be, as a new technology comes in, I don't see as being as big as ExxonMobil and BP, but I can see as leapfrogging a lot of the, the second tier, the third tier and second tier oil companies and energy companies out there. You know, if we get this right, you know, we, we'll be turning over hundreds of millions of dollars within a couple of years. I absolutely believe that, you know. Yep. So you think about the, the oil assets back in the Illinois Basin. So, you know, we're talking about producing oil. We're talking about technology. But essentially, the, the financial structure of an oil lease, you know, the, this financial structure of an oil lease hasn't changed for the last hundred years. So essentially, if you think of an oil asset out in the Midwest, uh, we're talking there. So the operator will own 70% of the project. The farmer will own 15% of the project. And then the other 15%, uh, or in the Illinois Basin, it's 12 to 15%, but say 12%, which is an eighth, 18%. So this other 18% is uh, split between, say, two to 300 small investors who own a small non-working op interest of the project. Now, they all get involved in the drilling aspect, when they drill and produce oil, what happens then is each month they get cut a, a working interest check from the refining company, Country Mark. Right. What happens right. is each month, at the end of the month, Country Mark will tell you how much oil they've bought from you and at what price. And then they will cut checks. Obviously, the biggest check goes to the operator, second biggest check to the farmer. And then these 200 people all get cut a check, whether you've got 1% or 0.3% or whatever. And this will keep going for essentially 15 to 20 years or the life cycle of the project. Right. Dividend checks. Yep. Yeah. Essentially, yeah. Working interest checks. So is it like essentially like a dividend for your asset? But you can't actually sell that asset because how who do you sell it to and how much is it worth? See, that's the problem is if you own 0.3 of a percent of a project in the Midwest, you know, how can you actually sell that? You've got to find someone who wants to buy 0.3 of a percent of your project in Kentucky. And right. if you find that person who's interested to buy it off you, then you can say, well, I bought paid for this. And, you know, it's been producing, it's given me a, a check every month now for the last, you know, 37 months. And I, I think it'll go for 10 years, but I don't actually know. So how much is it actually valued? Right. Right. It's difficult to put a figure on that and it's difficult to, you know, to, tr to track. Yeah. So, so you think about what we're doing here. So we're going to tokenize projects and the first projects we're going to tokenize are going to be Zion Energy. So, so, we, so, we take, so we're not tokenizing oil. We're actually tokenizing the financial asset of an oil producing well. Right. And we're putting on the blockchain. And rather than having one underlying token, and this is when it was just the green light moment. So I went and spoke at, you know, two blockchain events now. I spoke of, in the last one, I spoke next to Shell and Equinor. So I'm on the stage with these guys. And in the past, I'd spoken about doing one original token. And then I said, well, what we're going to do now is we're actually going to set it up whereby we're going to tokenize oil producing assets. But rather than just have one token, we're going to create multiple tokens. So if you think of, and this is where the difference between an ICO, which is an initial coin offering. So from the original initial coin offerings back in 2016, when the blockchain is at, at its peak, you know, you're looking at Bitcoin, you're looking at Ethereum, looking at Ripple and a few others. But essentially, they've not really developed and gone forward with this. 
and maybe 99% of all ICOs have failed all over the world. Now, people think, oh, well, that doesn't sound that good because you're going into this. But we're not going into an ICO. What we're going into is called an STO, which is a security token offering. So what we're actually doing is an SEC-regulated 506C Reg D security token offering. Now, that was the first one that went through. Now, you can do Reg S, which we've actually got qualified as well, which or it's not qualified, it's compliant with SEC that allows people to invest from overseas. So these are SEC-regulated documents. It's just this is the new evolution of the SEC in terms of tokens. So back to someone like Darren Marble I was speaking about earlier, he's now deep in this space. And now the first Reg A security token offerings have gone forward as well. So these are the, this is the next change in the regulation. So we're not doing an ICO whereby they're very volatile. We're doing these security token offerings. And then rather than having one underlying token or coin, we're right. going to create multiple underlying tokens and coins. So this is really where we've got to with our project. So if you start to think about it is, you know, in the last two years, there's been, you know, 16, 1700 ICOs. And we're telling, I'm telling you that 99% of them have failed. And uh, the, the reason for the multiple coins is you're going to differentiate the coins based on the project, correct? Yeah. So rather than having one, and this is back to the story with the... Uh, Equinor and Shell, you know, right. I said, if we bring these guys on, we're not going to get make you use our Zion coin or Zion token. We're going to create one for BP. We're going to create one for Shell in the name of the project. So you think the first few that will go on the platform will be from Zion Energy or we'll be on there, you know, with a lot of tokens. It'll be Zion Energy Pots lease, Zion Energy this lease. And we'll make a token for these leases and that'll tokenize that producing asset. And then essentially these tokens will have a value behind them, an asset behind them. So right now, now this might get more technical. So people might be not thinking, you know, well, I don't really understand the, the difference between coin and tokens. But if you're from the blockchain space, you'll know exactly what I'm speaking about. And we are going to be t creating to tokens. Now, I know I've called our Zion coin. I called it Zion coin because we did it basically but two weeks after JPM Morgan, who did JPM coin. Yeah, when they did right. their STO. So it's, um, in hindsight, we should have called a token. By the time I thought, no one's going to believe me if I said we've made a token. <laughs> you know? What is a token? Right. So a coin. Is, it, is it one of those Bitcoin things? It's, well, it's, it's the Bitcoin guys don't even like what we're doing. And it, it's, it's a strange sort of anonymously. That's not the right word there, Dave. But essentially, it's what we've done is... It's we, something different. Yeah. It's something different that's been created and it's SEC regulated. If you looked at our security token offering, it's like 170 pages long. You know, it's right. like, it's a, a very legal, you know, we've had multiple lawyers looking at this. Well, I mean, yeah, and, and the analogy is is something that, I mean, just just like dollars, right? Just like the US currency is based on, on bullion originally, right? Gold bullion that was held in reserve in the United States. So your token coins are going to be backed by the asset. Exactly. We're, and the thing is, and we're, we're backing in the asset of essentially oil and energy. Exactly. So if you think like that, this is the potential of the market size. Now, where's the problem back to the Illinois Basin? Well, the problem is if you've got this working interest and you cannot sell this working interest, by us tokenizing the financial asset, put it on the blockchain, 
now we've split this producing asset up into tokens. Now, right. if we create our own platform and exchange, so what we're about to do is we're creating a platform and an exchange where you can actually trade these tokens. Right. Now, by providing sort of secondary liquidity for the investor, so right now, there is no liquidity. You cannot right. sell your, your tokens, or it's, it's, it's not that there is no liquidity. It's nearly impossible to sell the tokens, you know. Right. But right now, if we create this trading platform where people can actually trade these tokens, now they're still restricted under SEC regulations, which is unlike all your ICOs. That's why everyone from that market space has no idea. They don't understand what Rule 144 is. No. which is an SEC restriction, <laughs> meaning that anyone who has our coins or tokens, you've got to hold on to these tokens for a minimum of 12 months from the right. minting before you can actually trade them. And that's to enforce the stability, right? The stability of the company. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, it's, it's also part of the SEC rules, you know? So right. it's like this is this current rule they have with spying shares under Regulation B. Right. It would, it would be too volatile otherwise. You want, you want a period of of stability. Yeah. And they're, they're just taking this rule forward for the tokens. So this and is the whole exactly. point. It's just like the same rules that govern the shares govern the tokens. Right. This is a big change from the initial coin offering market space. So, mm -hmm. and then you start to think now we're going to start creating tokens that's backed by oil and the same way the dollar was essentially backed by gold bullion, what you said. Mm -hmm. Now, if this works, we could create more tokens in the next two years, then the entire ICO market space. And then rather than having 99% of them fail, we'll have 99% of them succeed because we're actually backing these against financial assets. And then each month, because you own a token that owns a percentage of this field, you'll actually get paid in dividends, like you said, but the dividend rather than a working interest check, which is a check that comes through the post, it'll come back to you in tokens. So suddenly right. you're actually getting paid tokens. So if you own Zion coin or Zion shares, essentially you're going to own part of this platform. Now this platform in itself, you've got to think of like Alibaba or Amazon. You know, that's the sort of, so if people think, you know, who's your competitor? Well, to me right now, there is no competitor. Right. Creating the market space, just like the day when people say, oh, well, you know, that sounds a bit far-fetched, but, you know, Amazon sounds a bit far-fetched and now it's the biggest company in the world, you know? Right. right. So, so we're, we're doing, we're, to me, we're doing the same thing. If it succeeds, we'll be one of the biggest companies in the world. I have absolutely no, I, 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 there's no doubt in my mind. It's like, it's not even to the point, and people think, well, how much money are you going to make, you know? Well, I don't know. I'm going to be rich, you know? And everyone who bought an early is going to be rich too because <laughs> you've all bought an Amazon from day one. Except right. To me, we're going to be, because of what we're doing and because of we're essentially, we're, it's like us starting the dollar, but rather than backing it against gold, we're, we're creating these tokens and backing them against oil and energy. Right. That in itself is huge. Now, right. it's like we're now taking this technology of the blockchain. Now, we're getting into tokenization of financial assets. I'm taking a technology from the blockchain that I've looked at the way the major operators are working in terms of oil and gas for smart contracts. There'll be smart contracts rolled out at the Illinois Basin anyway. So if you're sitting there listening to this, Gary, 
you know. <laughs> you, you probably won't be filling in smart contracts, Gary. But, you know, ultimately, it's, it's to me, it's going to change. Everyone's going to have to start using these things in five years anyway. You're going to use them. It'll be driven down by the refining company because right. the refining company will start working out, wait a minute, we can save so much money in this as well. You guys all have to do it like that. But they'll all prefer that as well because then they're tracking the oil to the absolute second of leaving their land to delivery into the refining company. You'll be initially paid. Right. So in actual fact, Gary, you'll probably will <laughs> start wind to, up with a hand in this. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's like, and that, and that's the way they're all sort of going to change. But what we are doing is finding a solution for them. So if you think it, having seen this technology and how it's going to change, the, not only it's going to change the world, but how it's going to change the oil industry. And now, now we've worked a way that it can actually, you know, change the capital markets especially for these smaller producing assets where we see the big niche for us to go in and change because we're going to create liquidity in there. But not only create liquidity, we're going to create growth in these market areas and right. then push these basins to like full production. Then, you know, ultimately everyone's going to buy into it if it works. And then if it works and we're the guys that built the platform and then everyone's going to want to come in because suddenly you're going to have this new way of providing liquidity for your investors whereby you're not just an, you know, yeah, most investors will still invest for the long term, but ultimately they've got the option in 12 months to sell this asset that they've got. Right, right now that's not there. And it's, and it's not restricted to just the oil and gas. As we were talking about earlier, the fact that you can, you can scale this across energy sectors because these other newer green industries that are all coming online have the exact same problem. They're tied in with an infrastructure payment and, and they're not going to see that fulfilled, you know, for 10 years, 15 years down the road. But with, with the tokenization of that asset, you can introduce liquidity into that business from day one. Yeah, to me it's, and, and, and this is, comes back to, so we are trying to do this, you know, this transition in energy, you know, let's be realistic, but the, the world wants to transition from fossil fuels to renewable energy, you know, because of the green movement, et cetera. But, you know, you've got to understand that you have to be realistic in it. You know, right now, if you look at the energy generation for renewable energy in America, which is probably one of the most developed countries in the world, you know, you're seven, eight percent. And you know, okay, if you count hydropower, which is always the big dams, you'd be another six, seven percent. Right. You're still a long way back. You know, the transition right now, you know, everyone speaks about CO2 emissions and carbon uh, dioxide, but ultimately, you know, people don't like fracking, but you know, fracking in itself has been the best um I would say environmental policy that's been created in the last 10 years. Now everyone will go, oh, well, that's absolute garbage, but it's not because essentially we're creating by fracking, we can create the same energy, but with uh, 30, you know, 70% less pollution than coal. So as coal goes down, we're increasing in natural gas production. And that's actually a move in the right direction. But you, if you start thinking about renewable energy projects and, you know, essentially utility projects, you know, where's the problem with them? Well, you know, there's a couple of problems you touched on there, Dave. The first one really is that, you know, these, pro these projects, 
when you think about it, is they don't go into profitability to year, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. The technology is superseding itself anyway. So you've got to realize that's part of the problem. Now, who actually owns these projects? Well, it's like pension funds and big equity groups. And they've, and they've put in 50 million to own 10% of this project, you know, and right. it's a massive uh, solar farm. Like the man in the street owns nothing of this. So if we take the same policy we're not the same policy the same approach the same approach and what we're doing is creating a as part of the energy uh, trading platform we'll in parallel we will tokenize renewable energy projects now what's going to happen there is well the one of the big problems with these uh, projects is they essentially they have liquidity problems because you know they're not moving in the profitability to further down the line they have a certain budget to create them and you know the things go wrong they break all the time you know how many times you see a wind turbine not turning you know they have problems like any other sort of mechanical device so they have to be repaired and there's obviously cost to that right. but if, if you could create an opportunity whereby we're all wanting to move in this transition of energy from fossil fuels to renewable energy if you can give people the opportunity to invest in these projects where they've not been able to invest and by tokenizing and putting the blockchain two things happen as you said these get problem these projects have got liquidity problems we can actually by tokenizing them we can create a new capital raising mechanism for these projects but not only will we create a new capital raising mechanism we'll be able to get the people who are getting their dividends and tokens coming back to them from oil projects this opportunity to actually take some of these tokens and put them into renewable energy projects exactly. now why would they want to do that is because you know you want to diversify your portfolio plus by actually owning these uh, tokens in renewable energy projects once you st you hit profitability or hit break even and move into profitability suddenly you start getting a return from your token you know and if you start thinking about now we've got tokens in utility projects as well, you know, it's like how big can it grow then? To me, and this is the blockchain, this is the technology that we've been able to actually utilize. So it's like this is the catalyst. See, the blockchain's the catalyst to do the yep. transition energy. You know, you, you watch, you know, we always say little Greta, you know, so now she's now going around the world from Sweden. You know, it's big following social media. There's all these movements of people protesting, and especially young people. And I think it's a good thing, you know? I think it's a good thing people standing up and speaking up about it. But ultimately, apart from like getting your little flag stick on the go and making your little sign and complaining about something, what are you actually doing about it, Dave? You know, that's just putting awareness to something. But how do you get the solutions to this? And the solution isn't all oh, we've got to make government do stuff because the governments aren't going to do everything you want them to do. So you create these opportunities like what we're doing. And if you look at the blockchain, to me, the blockchain is the catalyst to essentially start the transition and energy process at a faster pace than they've ever seen before. Right. Because suddenly we can take the movement. See, these people, if you suddenly offered all these people opportunity to invest in renewable energy projects, they would get oversubscribed and they'd make more projects. Right. The money that would come into it would come into like another way they've never seen before. But it gives them man on the street a lever. Yeah. Something, something that they can get involved with in a very tangible way and, and influence. Yeah, definitely, yep. definitely influence. And then obviously the other thing is you've got to look at 
energy. You know, you've got to look at it. it it's, a, it's, it's a, such a complex subject area, you know? And you've got to look at industrial revolutions and pulling people out of poverty, you know, because essentially you look at a place like uh, China. Now, China is the, you know, the fast, well, was the fastest growing economy in the world. I think India is faster growing now as well. But in terms of population, CO2 emissions, they are going through this form of industrial revolution right now. But since the year 2000 to now, they're the biggest polluter in the world. Now, I know they spend the most money in renewable energy, but they spend the most money in oil, they spend the most money in nuclear, they spend the most money in coal, they spend the most money in everything because they need energy. Now, during that period from the year 2000 to 2019, they've taken 680 million people out of the poverty line or over the poverty line. Now, you can't really comprehend because it's such a massive amount of people. 680 million people, like double, it's more than double the population of America. Now, are we to say, well, you, you know, well, we don't really like the fact you've done this because you've actually created more, you know, carbon dioxide in the atmosphere? No, it's like, it's not about that. It's like, you've got to understand that people need, as we go through industrial revolutions, these other countries are going to go through industrial revolutions. And the big thing they need is energy. There's a hundred right. people just being shot in Iraq because they're complaining about not having running water and complaining about not having electricity. We're in there taking all the oil out of the country, but the people who live there who are poor don't have any electricity. Right. These people need to go through their industrial revolution. And if they go through their industrial revolution, this is part of the problem. Young people are complaining about this, but what are they complaining about? It's like when you and I were young, Dave, especially when you were young, how many electronic devices did you have? Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like yep. you had nothing. It's like, look at it now. If you think of your son, you've got like, phones you've got tablets you've got computers you've got air condition you know schools got air condition we are using electricity for absolutely everything you know right. so our standard of living is improved so you've got to understand that this is improving in such a way so we've got to look at energy in terms of it's a very very complex problem going forward right. it's not a, it's not a quick fix but if you have this mechanism and if this mechanism takes off, it will, as you say, offer a means to inject capital and do fundraising in a crowdsourced type of model for a lot of these new projects and accelerate that movement. And, and those countries that are still catching up, they, you know, there may be a way for them to leapfrog into some of the newer technologies, depending upon how things, how things move. It comes back to so, cost again. It comes back to the cost. It's, right. it's the cost of the user coming back. So to me, it's like, it's like how do we get these countries that, you, that are going to go through an industrial revolution to, to switch over to a greener energy rather than use fossil It's got to be cost effective. Yep. Well, they, they need, first, they need electricity. They need to have the opportunities that we've got in the West. That's one. Secondly, you've got to look at the mass movement. So you think of little Greta and what she's doing right now. You know, she's got this movement coming there. And I, I saw Elizabeth Warren saying, we can't do anything as the individual. It's all down to the oil companies. We've got to stand up to them. That's why you're voting for me. You know, to me, that's just like a garbage statement. It's like, it's all about the individual because the individual has pure power. Now, where's the power coming from? You're looking at it on the news. You've got a 16-year-old girl essentially, because she's smart and she's out there speaking about this, 
Now, whether it does, I, I get annoyed when people try to speak bad about her. You don't have to agree with everything she's doing, but you've got to understand where she's coming from. She doesn't want to see us basically eat this planet till there's nothing left. And right. Yeah, like, she's angry. Yeah. <laughs> she's angry. Yeah, she's angry about it, which is good. But, she, but the, the, it's about the individual. It's like there's people in California, it was like some of the worst recycling I've ever seen in my life. As people here do with some of the worst air conditioning, you know, they've got air conditioning on all the time. We're burning electricity all the time. We can all move off grid. Why right. does the governments don't want us to move off grid? Because that in itself causes them a problem because it, they, they lose a huge amount of money from this. So rather than all us moving off grid, from an individual level, we have power as well. And it all comes back to tracking CO2 emissions. So to me, it's not just a case of, we want to understand through our platform, yeah, it's going to be a capital raising mechanism. We're going to tokenize assets. We're going to provide liquidity. We're going to start moving into this green energy movement, but not from a point of view of whereby we're politicians and not from a point of view whereby we are there to do it because, you know, we want to get our placards out there and we want to be everything, you know, uh, renewables is good and everything fossil fuels is bad because I don't believe that at all. Oil's changed the world in so many positive ways. All I'm saying is we're going to have this platform. We're going to tokenize energy projects. We're going to tokenize oil projects. We're going to tokenize renewable energy projects. And we're going to use the blockchain as a catalyst to allow people to have this movement by essentially disrupting the entire capital market's energy structures. And by doing this, and if the movement works right, and if I'm right here, Dave, you know, essentially that's what this platform is going to do. Fantastic. Wow. All right. So, so we've touched on a lot of topics tonight. Let's, let's bring it back around, um, back to, to Zion, and, and let's talk about the immediate next steps for the, con for the company. What, what are your plans right now for Zion and in a small scale in terms of, of what your plans are for the next, say, six months and the next year out? So, the next, so we'll have the beta testing model finished in six weeks from now. So the platform will be ready. Now, we're not going to do this all ourselves. We're, we're entering a joint venture with a number of guys from New York and Wall Street, and we'll be making an announcement shortly of all these people who are coming on board. The right. project, we've got uh, an, an ATS who's supporting us. We've got a token creation company involved in the project. You know, we're a partner in the project. We'll be, as a joint venture, we'll actually, as a company, own 51% of it, as amongst all of our shareholders. And, um, you know, we've got a, a number of key software uh, companies coming in there, one based from Houston as well, another big blockchain company there. So it's not just us who are going to be doing this project. So once we've got it ready and we start tokenizing oil, now, you know, you come back to what, what does ZionCoin and what does it own? So essentially, if you think of ZionCoin as a fractional share, right. we're going into this. Of the platform. Yep. It's a fractional share of the company. Yep. So it's just like, you, so essentially a uh, hundred Zion coins equals one share. And that's right. the way it works right now. So if you uh, have shares out there and you want to convert them to Zion coins, then you'll own the Zion coins. Now what's the advantage of having the Zion coins is that everything I've t spoken about today, this is the technology ad ad advancement. This is a, a great leap forward in what's going to happen. And we essentially... I believe, going to run the platform that's going to do this change. 
right? And that's yeah. what you're going to own. Now, if you think, oh, well, what was Zion Energy and how's the oil company going to do? We're still going to have Zion Energy. We'll still have Zion Inc. Zion Coin, essentially, rather than wanting to, you know, we, we're not, my plan going forward is we're not there to own every single oil operating lease. If we can own 1.5% of a lease, if we can own 2% of a lease, if we can own 3% of a lease, 6% of a lease, you know, producing assets, we'll own a lot of producing assets going forward with Zioncoin, and this will increase the value of the company. So that's how the Zion coin will work. And then in addition, and that will be the energy company. So people say, well, how is the energy company going to progress? You know, we're going to build essentially an oil and energy company using IoT, which is Internet of Things. I think the goal is still coming back to the plan of whereby I want to acquire oil leases, but now we've put contracts together whereby not only do we want to own the mineral rights below, we want, want to own the capabilities to actually put wind farms and solar farms in the land above. We want to take it to this next stage. And to me, that will be happen the next six months as well. We'll get our first contract from that. And then it comes back to the platform. What we're doing on this small stage as a company what we've done, if we never got the opportunity when the oil price went to acquire these small assets, to get ourselves out in the Midwest, to understand the market space, to suddenly see this new technology come upon us, and then to look at this technology, and essentially all we're doing is just going back to the small oil leases, and then we're using this technology on it, and then in addition to using this tokenization model, for a pro providing liquidity and uh, essentially disrupting the energy markets, we're going to use it as the catalyst to basically speed up the transition in energy. But rather than just do it with our own leases, with a few producing assets, we're going to do it with everything. Right. We're going to do it with the entire oil industry. That would be the goal. People say, well, where's your goal? Well, I want the whole lot on there, Dave. $5 trillion. Right, <laughs> right. You know, and then if I put right. $5 trillion on this platform and people might think that's just garbage, that's not going to happen, why not? It's like a technology. It's like if the technology works for the small operators and we do proof of concept, the bigger operators will follow, especially when we are tokenizing in their name. We don't even own the oil. We're not going to own the energy. All we're going to own is a transactional fee on it. And that transactional fee might be two, three, four points of it. But owning this small percentage is like Amazon. Amazon doesn't own the product. Right. Amazon just has the platform where you sell the product. You can still sell the product on your own website. You can still still the, you can still sell the oil and the renewable energy credits and the energy generation out with the design platform. Right. But what you're not going to be able to do is by having that we'll have the platform where everyone's going to be. So maybe other people will come in in other parts of the world, but we're going to do this and have an SEC regulated. And right. if this actually happens, and, and this is where the crossover coming. So now I'm getting people from like some of the big uh, coin magazines contacting us, digital asset magazines. We're going to do a, a run in uh, Digital Asset Live. You know, it's following the company over the next Fantastic. six months. Yeah. We're going to do features of the company and how it's developing. Because ultimately, if this actually works like we've spoken about today, it's not only the fact that we're going to disrupt the energy markets, is you know, we're going to develop essentially the biggest thing on the blockchain is Bitcoin. 
And ultimately, we could become bigger than, in 10 years from now, we could be bigger than Bitcoin. And then all these Bitcoin guys are saying, that's absolute garbage. It's not the case. Why isn't the case? Bitcoin is in a public blockchain. Essentially, all it was was a, a transaction from A to B anywhere in the world, instantaneous, avoiding yeah, yeah. transactional fees mm -hmm. and avoiding a, a government fees and government interference. Now, right. what happened is there's 21 million Bitcoins in the world. And this moved away from being a transaction from A to B, which what which essentially Satoshi Nakamoto invented it for. So that's what he developed it for. And all right. we've done now, Dave, is it's become its own commodity because now people right. think, well, there's a finite finite amount of this, but it's not backed. It's not right. backed like the gold right. bullion. It's backed to what you're saying. What it's become an end of itself, but it's not. Yeah, it's got no inherent value. It's, it's not. not and, and there's there's nothing behind it. Yeah, there's, this is a, with the system. What we're talking about is if we do it with oil and energy, you know. If this, Al, did I lose you? No, no, it's still there. So, <laughs> yeah, I thought I lost you for a moment. Yeah, no, no problem. We're just, we're obviously talking, that's the government, to, the President Trump's section is off there. These guys are saying, you know, don't worry, it's in the US system, you know, everyone's going to be paying their fair taxes for it, you know. That's <laughs> so that, you know, unless. So. Tax returns hidden. But so we got a, a we got a, a beta of the platform coming out in a, in a number of weeks. But but people can still uh, investors today can still transact their shares into into coin. Yeah. So the, so the Zion coin in itself is essentially your ownership of this of the platform. platform. Yeah, yeah. But then also the energy company as well. So we will just continue to develop as an energy company in the same way as. Tesla is an energy company, except we're just starting in from an oil and energy's perspective. Right. And we're using the blockchain as our catalyst. And then the information on how to do that can be found on the website. Yeah, you just go to the website and the, obviously there's investment opportunities. So right now, to actually, a Zion, cost, a Zion coin only costs you one cent, you know? Right. It's a minimum investment of $500 and $500 is going to get you 50,000 Zion coins. Now. Right. You know, it's. I'm not telling everyone that this is going to go up the same price as a Bitcoin. Yeah, you know, but you know, if everything I spoke about today happens, then it's it's going to go up the way, Dave. <laughs> right. It's gonna it's gonna certainly go up, probably at a at a at a steeper rate than the than the shares would. I well, would expect. Again, it's like we're looking for exit strategy for the investors. So if right. you come back to why why if you've got shares in the company right now and you've listened to this podcast as a shareholder. And you've thought about, well, you know, I see where the guy's coming from. I've heard about this blockchain. I believe the company's a tech company in the space and we're moving into this. You know, you can switch your shares into Zinecoin. Now, why do I want people to do that is because I'm creating two avenues to get liquidity for the investors. You know, the original one is to IPO the company, but we're also going to push this fact to STO the company. Uh, as they're calling it. So we're looking to STO onto one of the ATSs. So people will get liquidity from there. Now, if you convert your shares into Zinecoin, there's a 12-month period. But even after that 12-month period, and we're not supported by an ATS to uh, convert it to uh, fiat currency, you're still going to have unrestricted tokens. Now, 
you know, if you've got a share certificate in the company, if you've got a share certificate in any company before it goes public, usually what happens is you've got a legal agreement that you've signed to get those shares and you've got a share certificate in a drawer and it's held there. The thing right. about the dying coins now, it's, it's held in a MetaMask wallet and an app in your iPhone. You know, this is where the technology is coming from. The information is now seen. You can go to a website called Etherscan. You can type in Zinecoin and you can see all the people who are acquiring Zinecoins or converting their shares across, you know, and, and it's just so much more transparent. And also the fact is, you know, you're not, it, it's people want to hold what they own in their phone, you know? So this right. is why the technology, and three, five, I think in even last time, it's like this technology that the SEC have sort of moved forward with in terms of the blockchain you know, the, the, the pinks in the OTC markets is going to change as well because, you know, people want to hold information like this. The technology is like so much more transparent, you know? Right, right. So it's everything getting more regulated. And, you know, it, coming back to be spoken about Bitcoin, the Bitcoin people don't like what we're doing because essentially if you think Bitcoin's in a public blockchain, it's out with government control and it's, you know, it's unregulated. This is highly regulated and within government control, and it's right. on a permission blockchain. It's, it's, it's essentially the opposite. It's only people who have heard of Bitcoin and know nothing about the blockchain speak about this as if it's Bitcoin, whereby every single Bitcoin purist would never, ever, they don't even want to say it in the same breath because they don't right. believe it's the right. same breath. But if you think about the technology and the way it's developed, is if Bitcoin was essentially the development of, um, if, if, if Bitcoin was the first app, in the same way email was the first development of the internet, essentially right. it's the same thing. You know, it's, the, Bitcoin's the, essentially the first app. On like the, the Mozilla or the, yeah, yeah. It's the first, and, and all we are is another one on the blockchain. And that's really how it all starts, you know? Right. Wow, it's been, it's been educational. Fantastic. How so, so? So that's it, and it, it's and I know people are looking at it from the outside in, but I just know that it's just we're on an exciting path here, Dave. I wouldn't have gone down it if I didn't think the return and the uplift would be so huge. And it's also I've seen it's not like I've seen the future. It's like it's like looking at the internet thirty years ago. Everyone I get on these podcasts, they all say the same thing. This is the start of the internet, but we think it's going to be bigger. It's not even the start of the internet. It's like the next generation of the internet. Right. And right. The blockchain is going to allow essentially the new technology to develop, you know? And once right. people understand it, it's everything's going to change. And if we use this technology in the right way, it's going to change even better. Right. And all I think is this platform that we're doing, if it works right, it, you know, we could be the catalyst that speeds up the transition in energy. Now, I don't exactly. want to stand on a stage and get my placard out and, you know, talk, you know, well, you know, I hate fossil fuels. I hate that. I hate this. I understand what's happening in the world right now. You know, there's too many people coming into this world and the way we're actually, you know, we're like locusts. You know, the, the biggest concern for me is we're chopping down 15 million, 15 billion trees a year and planting 5 billion. So right now there's 3 trillion <coughs> trees in the world. 
you know? Yeah. If yeah. we keep going at a net rate of we're going to chop down 15 billion, put up 5 billion, you know, it's not going to be that long before there's no trees left, you know? Right. So right. these are like, that's like a problem that we've got to sort of address. So when Greta comes out and does this and makes blanket statements, you know, I could, I could, and that's why I get annoyed because a lot of people sit there and they, you know, especially from uh, energy industry and they talk bad of her and they try and pick holes in what she's doing. No, no, I don't agree with everything she's saying, but I like what she's doing because there's points like that. Cause I could go through, I could make a list just as long on the other side of stuff that we're not doing right. And it all comes down to the individual as well. Right. The individual's key is like, what is your carbon footprint? And that'll be the next bit is like, how can we track people's individual carbon footprints? And then how right. do we actually reduce that as well? And how do we move forward? And you've got to do it in an economic way, because if you want the rest of the world to follow you, which America wants to happen, you're not going to force them to do it. You're not going to get China and Russia, which are starting to boom in terms of their you know, economic power and say, oh, by the way, we think you can spend more money doing this and you know, stop selling your gas and stuff like that. And you say, you know, we're not going to do that. You know? Why would we do that? We're still bringing people out of the poverty line. We're going to continue with what we're doing. We're transforming our country. But if you can suddenly create a model whereby if you use this renewable energy to produce fossil fuels at a cheaper rate and it's more carbon friendly, then they're going to think, well, yeah, I want to do that now, you know? And that's how it will change as well. It will change there as well. You see, these countries don't realize that once it goes in the blockchain, once it's tokenized, once it becomes ownership broken down by tokens for people, it's, you know, the capital market structures are completely going to change. And then once that happens, if we can actually take advantage of this and use this as a catalyst, everything will move forward faster and faster and faster. It's going to be exciting to watch. Yeah, exactly, Dave. So it's, you know, that was a long 30 minutes tonight, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it, it's, it's a difficult thing. And, you know, I speak to people about the journey we've been on since we've started. And, right. You know, it, it, to me, it's, it's just a third pivot. It's like all we are doing now is we're taking this ideology of doing this transition in energy, but by using the blockchain and using this technology, we're just going to do it on a massive scale. And by doing it on this massive scale, you know, the, the company could go into the, you know, we could be the next Amazon, Microsoft, Google, you know, that to me, that's who I'm aiming for the company to be like. And I, 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 don't, I don't mind people thinking, you know, how big is the company going to go? Well, essentially, we should grow to that size if we're successful with the plan, because we're not doing this to make money. We're obviously doing it to make money, but we're doing this to disrupt the capital markets and the oil, the oil industry itself. And right. if people start to think about it and think more about it, but we'll enhance the oil industry. It's not like we're going to end the oil industry. We're going to enhance them. Because if I can produce oil carbon friendly, are we going to produce it? Well, yeah, because we need it. We need plastic. It's like, you know, everyone's going to be writing in now, well, I hate you on their iPhone using refined oil to build that <laughs> plastic by Foxconn out in China. So it's like, oh, well, wait a minute. I don't hate it all. I fill my gas tank up. I do all these things. You've got to understand that we'll be producing oil forever. You know, right. it's just that we need to produce it in a carbon friendly way. So, you know, it can slow up the, this, um, you know, the, the way the world's actually developing, you know? Right, right. So, but we, so we'll keep an eye on it. And, and the scalability, as I said, you know, in terms of how big you can grow, I mean, the sky's the limit. I mean, this, this thing can be, this model can be ported 
you know, across industries. So yeah, it's, it's yeah. going to be exciting I times. Say, I would say every, every energy sector we can go into. Yeah. And we can tokenize any asset financial, because we're tokenizing the financial assets. And then because we're not looking to essentially create one token, we're creating tokens for other people. So it's not like we're going there to get market monopoly. All we're doing is disrupting the market space. You know, and by disrupting the market space, everyone else is going to have tokens. And then suddenly what we're doing is creating a new market space. And as you create a new market space, new industry creates within it as well. Exactly. So that's how it really operates going forward. So, so I appreciate you coming on today. Day then, yeah. uh, I'm sure it's of uh, interest to uh, definitely a number of the shareholders, uh, especially Sandy down in Coronado, who doesn't understand what I'm up to. But Sandy, if you're listening, you know, <laughs> I, play, I play tennis occasionally with Sandy. He's from Scotland. He's uh, one of my biggest supporters have been in the company so far. So I've always got to give Sandy a mention as well. So I appreciate uh, all your support, Sandy, and uh, having listened to this. So hopefully you understand a bit more in the direction of the company. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, thanks for the opportunity, Al. Look forward to uh, sitting down and drawing with you again sometime soon. Yeah, yeah. And we'll keep getting you back as we do our uh, monthly updates, Dave. Sounds great. So uh, thanks very much. Uh, That was Dave Rogers. And uh, Dave is a board member with um, Zion Inc. And a key member of the team. And you've been listening to Boom It's on the Blockchain. So thanks very much. And uh, have a nice day. Bye-bye. Thanks very much for listening to our podcast. And if you'd like to know more information or get our next podcast, then visit our website, www.zyn.com. Thanks very much. Have a nice day.